Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Who has a house with a fence that looks like this? Backyard fence that looks like this, or who bought a house many years ago in Brisbane with a backyard fence that looked like that? you go to some of the older parts of Brisbane, there's still backyards that that is the fence that separates properties. Some of us look at that and think, whoa, that would make my life super awkward. Like not a lot of separation between me and the neighbours. I couldn't do as I do occasionally and just go out in the early morning in my boxes and check the condition of the backyard or check that things were put away the night before or turned off. Because if my fence was like that, there's not a lot that can get hidden. So we, most of us, moved beyond those type of backyard fences and we built fences like this, wooden paling fences. They're cheap, they're simple, they go up quickly, but they still allow for pesky children to stand up and look into your backyard. Has anyone ever walked out into their backyard and realised that there's a kid looking over the back fence because their football's somewhere in your yard and they're wondering where it is, but you weren't prepared for prying eyes to be on your property? So we moved to the next level of fencing, many of us. And uh, in some places, this is known as good neighbour fencing. Have a look at it. Good neighbour fencing is actually the name of the product by one local manufacturer. And why do we call it good neighbour fencing? Well, part of the reason we market it as good neighbour fencing is there's no disputes over whose side looks better. See, when you get the timber fencing, some people get the rails, but some people get the nice timber finish. This looks the same both sides, so no need for people to have a barney over who gets the better looking fence. You know what? Fences are the number one cause of disputes amongst neighbours. 2018, Victoria reported that the Dispute Settlement Centre of Victoria found that 38% of neighbourhood disputes were over fences. So we have now good neighbour fences. But I'd like to suggest that they're not just good neighbour fences because they look good on both sides. They're good neighbour fences because they're six foot high, they're completely solid, no one can see under them, through them, around them, and unless you stand on a ladder or a chair or some other implement, you cannot see over them. So they serve a great purpose in our lives in that they allow us to be good neighbours by saying to our neighbours, we really love that we're next door to you, but please keep away from my stuff and my property and keep your eyes out of my business. If you do that, you'll be a good neighbour. I'd like to suggest that That is a little bit of a picture of the way that our culture sees community. We build fences that keep others out and keep what we want in. But behind those fences, we also do something else. We live in a culture that has become expert at filtering and framing their lives for a public consumption. We all went behind closed doors, didn't we, in COVID? And we all had to become aware and become comfortable with our using platforms like Zoom and Microsoft Teams and other online platforms where we framed ourselves and we met with the wider world. It was the only way that we could be seen. But I, I don't know if anyone else did, but we spent some time actually engineering the space in which we met so that when people saw us, they got a good picture of not just us, but the space in which we were. And I've seen some incredibly curated spaces that people have gone into where through filters and frames, 
Life looks a particular way, but if you're actually in the room, it looks completely different. Now, we all do that because I, I don't really want to look in on my computer screen at your mess and at all the stuff behind you. Like, I like it when you filter and frame your background appropriately and wear some good clothing. Like, that really helps us to all do life better and appreciate one another. But I think the picture of that actually speaks to something much deeper about the way that we've chosen to do life or the way that our culture has encouraged us to do life. See, not only do we build fences, we've also become experts in curating our lives and framing them and filtering them in a way that when everybody else sees what's going on, they see the best version of who we are. That's a really hard thing to keep up when you choose to invest your life in others. Because if every single one of us is honest, of us is honest, there are days where the frames and the filters do not do justice to the story that lies beneath. You see, if we actually pulled the shot back, we would see some mess, we'd see some clutter, we would see some things as they're not meant to be. And that's not just the physical space, I would say the same is true for our lives. See, the more we choose to invest in the lives of others and allow others to draw close, the more we allow them to see us as we truly are. I would say it's something that many people run away from these days because we would prefer to be in control of the image that others get to experience. You know, we live in a culture where we're more seen, but we're less known. We're more seen, but we're less known. Some of us came through a time where the only way you would get news on your friends was through their annual Christmas letter that would come every year and have a couple of photos of key events and how the family's grown and we'd read the stories and that would be the way we'd keep up with each other. But now we keep up with each other's news on nearly a daily occurrence. We're more seen, but we're also less known. More than that, we live in a culture that's becoming increasingly lonely. Some people have named loneliness as the greatest pandemic of our time, which in light of the coronavirus pandemic we've all lived through, is a fascinating and a significant statement. Recent studies that have been done have said this. Relationships Australia in 2018 found that one in 10 people aged 15 and over report lacking social support. That's not just loneliness, that's actually lacking significant social structures to support you to do life. The Australian Psychological Society in the same year did a study that found that one in four people report they're currently experiencing an episode of loneliness. So across this congregation this morning, 25% of people would say right now, I'm seen, but I'm lonely. You're here, you're present with me, but one in four report that they are currently experiencing an episode of loneliness. One in two in the same study, or 51% of people, report that they feel lonely for at least one day every week. We're more connected, we're busier, there's more stuff going on, but more people say that they live lonely lives. Fascinating research has been done recently that suggests that loneliness isn't just an emotional uh, issue. It actually goes deeper than that. Listen to what this study found. A robust body of scientific evidence has indicated that being embedded in high-quality close relationships and feeling socially connected to the people in one's life is associated with decreased risk 
for all-cause mortality as well as a range of disease morbidities. Now, everyone goes, what on earth does that mean? That loneliness actually leads to a lower and a shorter life expectancy. Some people would say that loneliness actually causes a life expectancy, like it has a physical side effect on people, similar to that of smoking or other very tangible things that we can see. You see, loneliness isn't just about we feel lonely. Loneliness actually decreases our sense of well-being and actually has a positive and significant effect on our health. We're living in a loneliness pandemic. But you see, it's not just our, our sense of health and well-being that's affected by the way we do community. It also has a significant impact on our spiritual well-being. See, part of how God has wired us is our need for community. It's not just good for your physical well-being, it's also good for your spiritual life. Some years ago now, the Fuller Youth Institute in the United States <clears throat> did a study of young people that had grown up in the Christian church and those that had made the transition once they got to young adult years to continue to follow on with their faith. They did it like a college years study, they called it. And what they found was there were a few significant factors that had a significant impact on whether a young person's faith stuck beyond school. I can tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't do they know the words to all the popular worship songs. It wasn't have they read their Bible every single day, even though that has a positive impact. It wasn't, you know, have they got their theology aligned and can they articulate you know, in just a few brief sentences the atonement of Jesus on the cross? You know what some of the key factors to a young person sticking with their faith were? One was being part of a community that allowed room for doubt. You see, being part of a, a faith community that allowed space for doubt. Because as we try to make sense of God and all that he is, doubt is going to be a significant part of many people's story. So creating a safe place for people to bring their questions, not feel like every time they bring a question they need an answer, although we need to make it all right for them, but creating a safe community of faith where doubt could be expressed safely and appropriately was one of the key factors that helped young people make their faith stick. You know what the second one was? intergenerational relationships. What they found in this study was that when a young person has a network of five significant adults imparting into their life, it was one of the key factors that helped faith stick. This isn't about theology. This isn't about devotional life. This isn't about spiritual discipline. This is all about community. Parents, if you ever want a reason or an encouragement as to why you're leaning to faith community matters, there it is right there. But one of the, the third reason was actually parents that actually recognised that they were the primary spiritual givers to their kids. In other words, they didn't outsource faith to everybody else, but they took it seriously in the home, in the conversation, the way they modelled life. But hand in hand with that was actually a community that surrounded your kids. You see, being part of community isn't just good for our health, it's not just good for our emotional well-being, it's also good for our spiritual life, but that shouldn't be a surprise because that's the way God always intended it. So today, let me just talk to you about some simple things the scripture says about community. And I'm going to keep these really simple and I'm going to keep these really practical and I hope at the end you're all deeply impressed because they all start with C. So you can remember them. 
I think I've outdone myself today, almost to the point where you're going to be shaking your head at the end of this. But the point of doing that is that maybe you might remember them. The first thing I want to say is this. God's idea of community is a community that corrects. Galatians 6, verses 1 to 3, says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. That's becoming one of my favourite Bible verses. Like Galatians 6.2, like that's on people's fridges, that's on people's walls. You can buy that at Kurong, bear one another's burdens. This way fulfil the law of Christ. I'd never really taken notice of verse 3. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Now I'm going to tell you that today. You're not that important to be part of community, to feel like you can do it all on your own, to feel like you don't need people and people don't need you. You're not that important. But listen to what Paul says to this church in Galatia. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. You see, one of the first things community does is it helps correct. See, when we find ourselves in a community that's committed to the cause of Christ, we find ourselves in a place full of people that want us to do our best and to flourish in life. Therefore, one of the things that the Bible invites us to do is to be part of a community, not just where we get told all the things we want to hear, but that's filled with some people that love us enough that tell us some things that we don't want to hear but are the things that protect us from going down a path that's going to devastate us and devastate our life. This is actually, I've started with the hardest one because most of us aren't very good at this, including myself. Most of us aren't good at giving it. Most of us are even worse at receiving it. See, we've come to a culture that's actually equated anything that we challenge in someone as judgment. Don't judge me. I want to suggest there's a significant difference between challenge and judgment. Paul says to the Galatian church, if you see a believer that's straying from the path, gently and humbly go and help them find their way back. Two really key words that I think makes challenge different from judgment. See, judgment always comes from a place of arrogance. Challenge always comes from a place of humility. And humility suggests that I'm only one dumb decision myself away from being where you are right now. And I get that. And if you don't think you're only one decision away from finding yourself in the same place as a friend, where they're at, you've got an overestimation of yourself and your own goodness. But humility says any one of us right now is only one step away from being in a place that we don't want to be ourselves. One dumb decision, one late night phone call, one late night internet visit, one wrong financial transaction, one misspoken word, Any one of us is only one decision away from actually derailing a significant part of our life. And that's why Paul says, if you see someone that's making a dumb choice, help them get back on the right path, not in judgment and not in arrogance, but gently and humbly. You know the thing that makes this work? The thing that makes this work is is one, us learning to be gentle and humble, but two, us learning to receive. Because most of us are terrible at receiving. 
We, we found a place now where we, there's a growing tribalism in the world in which we live, where we jump online or we go to the places and we're just attracted to the people that look like us, think like us, talk like us, vote the same as us, have the same prejudices that we do, use the same language that we do. And when we go to those places, people just want to affirm us because if we don't affirm someone, we're judging them, right? What if it's not about affirmation? What if it's actually us as a community of believers saying, we want you to flourish the way that God intended and if you keep living this way? Young people, can I just encourage you when it comes to forming relationships? There's going to be some people that are just going to tell you to do whatever feels right. And then there's going to be some people that are going to get in your ear saying, no, no, this is a significant decision. Don't make an unwise choice. Don't run away from those that actually want your best to just hang out with those that want to tell you everything that you want to hear. See, community, community is the place where we can be corrected and challenged on our journey in gentleness and humility. Not careful not to fall back into the same temptation. Uh, just one other thing I want to point out, it's really important in this passage. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, Really key word there, another believer. You see, this is coming from a point of two people that have already decided that Jesus is the one that they're going to invest their life in. We've got to be really careful in the way we love our community as the church that we don't try and impose our standards on people that haven't yet believed that they're actually the way to live their life. That just does come across as judgment. I'm not saying we don't stand for our convictions and encourage people towards good ways of living. We just got to be really careful with how we deliver that message. Paul's really clear. If you see another believer, in other words, somebody that's already said, yep, I want to follow Jesus. Go to them gently and humbly. Restore them to the right path and be careful that you don't get stuck in the same story. But then he goes on to, to say what is, as I said, a fairly well-known verse. And, be care- uh, and share one another's burdens. In, in other translations, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you obey or you fulfill the law of Christ. See, not only does community correct, but community cares and carries. Let's not lose the context. Let's not pull this verse out all by itself. The encourage to correct is also in the same little passage as the encouragement to care for one another and to carry. See, correction, when it's in the, like the atmosphere of care, takes on a whole different meaning. So Paul says, if you see something, call it out. Do it gently do it humbly, but also bear one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. See, we all need others to help reduce the load and the weight. We all need moments. We all have moments in our faith where you know, the, the thing that we actually need others to carry us through is actually a, a spiritual or theological wrestle. Those dark nights of the soul, those dry times where it feels like God is distant and God is not speaking and God's not dealing with some of the stuff that you're wrestling with. But we also need people to carry and care for us practically. Last week, we finished our service. We were outdoors. And it was great being outdoors last week, wasn't it? And part of me just wants to pull the walls down and have the air flow in here today. But I love being outdoors. You know what I don't love about being outdoors? Is none of this stuff lives down there. So it's great to be outdoors. But then at 12.30, when everyone else goes home, James and I look at each other like, this is a great idea. Was this your idea? This is a stupid idea. <laughs> it was way better last time when we told everyone to bring their camping chairs because then we didn't have to carry all the stupid chairs back up to the hall. 
And as I was having that moment in my spirit, you wouldn't believe that I'd have that moment, would you? I'd never whinge or complain. As I was standing there whinging and complain, the cavalry arrived with the chair trolleys. And suddenly 250 chairs at the back of the school didn't feel like as big a burden as it did when I just thought it was James and I that was going to have to drag them all up. You know, and Glenn came and Matt came and Harrison came and Ben came and I've forgotten a few people. You were very valuable, I promise. <laughs> but as the whole community of people then gathered to actually take the load, suddenly the load didn't feel as significant. Now, now it's a really kind of shallow illustration, but here's the, the point I want to make out of it. The load itself didn't diminish, but the weight of it on any one person did. See, some of us are going to walk through some really deep and dark moments in life, and, and the weight of what we carry isn't going to diminish. The circumstances aren't going to change. But what it means for us and the weight that we have to carry ourselves will diminish as people gather around us. Once again, sometimes the problem's us. You know, to be cared for, we've got to be ones that are willing to be part of a community, to be known, to be seen, to remove the filters and the frames. But we've also got to be willing to be part of a community where we care. If you're part of a life group here, we would say our life groups, and here's a little plug for life groups. I'll talk about this at Newcomers. We would say our life groups are our primary place of care. Not, not that we don't have other structures in place or that if you're not in a life group, we don't want to care for you. That's not the case at all. We, we just think that when you get in a small community of eight, ten others, people are going to know your way better, so they're going to know what's going on for you in a way they can care for you so much more appropriately. So we see life groups as a critical part of our church because... They are a place where people can receive care. But if you go to your life group just to receive care, you've only got half of the equation. Because you should also go to your life group being willing to give care. See, it's a mutual thing. The scripture says, bear one another's burdens. Not have others bear your burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, care is something we receive, but it's something we give. And you know the thing I found over time? That the more we give, the more people want to reciprocate in the way we receive. So if you are in a relationship, a life group, a church community, community is the thing that cares and the thing that carries. Your problems may not diminish, but the power of them to overcome you may not. Number three, Community challenges. How am I going? Community corrects, cares, carries, and challenges. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, lots of pastors have used this verse to guilt people into being more regular at church. Let's not give up meeting together. And you go, of course you would say that. You're responsible for the church. That's not actually what I want to focus on this morning because we so often run to that. This is what the verse says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on or we may motivate, I think was the, the other version that came out. How we may motivate. This word spur on in the English or this word motivate comes from a Greek word that means to incite, to irritate and to provoke. It's not just a gentle can we just spur one another on? It's, it's, it's a language that says, actually irritate one another towards love and good deeds. Actually incite one another. Provoke one another. It, it's like you're being kind of 
cut or scratch, that kind of irritation. Irritate one another to the point of love and good deeds. That's how these verses literally rendered. Irritate and incite and provoke and annoy and be annoying with one another to the point of love and good deeds. And then don't give up being together where you can provoke, incite, irritate and annoy. So when you come to church, what are you coming for? To annoy someone towards love and good deeds. If you haven't found an annoying person yet, come and find me and I'll introduce you to some of them. No, just come and find me. You'll meet one right there. How can we annoy, irritate, provoke, spur one another and motivate one another on toward love and good deeds? You see, community is God's intention to challenge us. And that's why he says, don't give up meeting together. It can't happen anywhere else. The whole point isn't that you get to heaven because you come to church more regularly than someone else. The whole point is when you're in a Christian community, you're in the place God intended for you to flourish as a person. So if being here or being somewhere, it doesn't have to be here, but being part of Christian community is not part of what you've made a priority, make it a priority because God intends to make you a better person, not just through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, just being downloaded for heaven, but through the work of the Spirit that's being imparted into you through the others there that God is also at work in. A beautiful picture of an imperfect bunch of people being shaped and incited and provoked and annoyed by a perfect God. That is what community is all about. So community challenges, but it also cheers. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now we live again in a culture where people have become expert at pointing out what's wrong. You probably see it in yourself. Have you ever rung up to complain about something? Yes. Written an angry email, left a bad review, ticked one star, filled in the feedback form, emailed the owner, whatever it is. Have you ever done that? I'm sure we all, many of us have. Those that haven't, just probably because you're lazy and couldn't be bothered. You know, I go and have a meal and it's cold and, you know, there wasn't something that I ordered and I paid for it didn't arrive and I'm really happy to go and tell somebody what's wrong with that. I sit down to that same meal in a different restaurant and it's generous serving and it's hot and it's tasty and they give me a free side and they take 10% off because I'm a nice guy and I walk out going, those guys are awesome. But I never ring them or email them or tell them or fill in the feedback form. I just... There's something I think that some of us have a line, and not all of us, some of us are great at this, but some of us have this little line part of our spirit that tends towards wanting to point out what's wrong. If that's what you're like, I reckon God wants to do something in you to actually balance that. I'm not saying that's always wrong, but if there's no balance, if your discouragement outweighs your encouragement, I reckon God wants to bring it back into balance because God says when you're together, one of the things that you are to do is to encourage one another. Now, sometimes encouragement is also challenge. But encourage one another. What what, was the last way you found to encourage someone? Parents, when's the last time you walked out of here and went down there and found one of the teenagers that every Sunday morning comes and invests in your kids and said, thank you? Some of you haven't done it, but you've, you've told them when, you know, they lost their drink bottle 
But you haven't walked down there and said, thanks for what you do. Thanks to Jono, sitting down somewhere. Where's Jono this morning? I'm going to pick on Jono. And I've picked on Jono before, but I'm going to do it for a really important reason today. Because the school had a musical here this week that finished on Friday night. And Jono, and I'm sure maybe only one or two others, were here till 2.30am on Friday morning to make sure that we could be back in here for church this morning. You know how much we pay Jono? I pay him a compliment occasionally on a Sunday. <laughs> but when's the last time you just found someone to encourage and to thank them and to honour them? And pull them up. I don't know about you, but encouragement's one of those things that, like, discouragement can ruin a week. And sometimes we need to hear what's not going well. Sometimes we need people to point out things that need changing. Don't get me wrong. But one word of encouragement from someone can just be the thing at times, isn't it? That, you know when someone says, oh man, I really saw Jesus in you when you did that? Oh man, I was just really grateful for, for that thing you said at Life Group last week. It really helped me. Oh, I, just, I love that we get to sit next to each other in church most weeks. It's, it's one of the highlights of my week. There's something about encouragement that just like, like our chin lifts and, and like we just... It, it changes our posture. You watch it. You just go start speaking encouragement into people. They'll either do these ones. But in their spirit, you can just see it's fueling something in them. And God knew that we're people that need encouragement. And he says, to, to, you know, in the book of Hebrews, even more as you see the day approaching. Well, I figured we don't know when the day is actually going to approach. The Bible tells us that only he knows then when Christ will return. But if this was written nearly 2,000 years ago, I reckon we're closer now than they were back then. So if they were being encouraged back then to encourage one another, even more as the day's approaching, well, I reckon we should probably take it seriously today. Because it's not getting any easier to follow Jesus in the world in which we live. But something happens when you're part of a group of people committed to the same cause that just want to speak hope and life into you. Encourage one another. Community, Cheers. Finally, community compliments. Not in that you're looking really fine today, kind of complimentary way, but in the way that says you're better because there's other people here that are different to you. We compliment one another. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this, and again, a similar theme to what we read in Galatians, but always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, because of your love. I love that. Humbleness and gentleness again is preached. And be patient, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called the one glorious hope for the future, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. What do you reckon Paul wants to get across here? One. Oneness. And then he goes on to say this. However, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. In other translations, a special grace through the generosity of Christ. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this in the message. He says this. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both inwardly and outwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. 
Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. You see, the gift of community and the gift that the church has, and I think there's very few places on planet Earth that you can find this, is that we choose to celebrate the thing that unites us, not the things that divide us. And as we look at each other and as we do life with one another and as we get closer, as we let the frames and the filters and the fences come down, people are going to grate you more and annoy you more and you're going to find out all of a sudden that they hold a different theological conviction on you, on how God created the earth and they vote for a different political party than you do. And they like worship songs that you actually think are sacrilegious. And they have a different way that they raise their kids. They have a different way they use their money. They have a different dress sense, a different musical taste, a different love of food, a different attitude towards exercise, different rules and... Like, do you just want me to go on about the differences that you'll find with one another as time goes on? But Jesus says, okay, despite all of that, God in his generosity has actually made us different. They love that. It's not God as an accident made you different. God in his generosity and his grace didn't make you the same. Embrace the fact that you're different. Embrace the fact that we express our faith differently. Don't try and make everyone else look like you. But if that's all we focus on, we miss the point because Paul wants to say, don't worry about all the stuff that divides you. There is one faith, one Lord, one God of all who brings all things together. So in our diversity, we are called to live in unity. And that's the thing that makes the church work. That we're different, but we're one. Jesus modelled this a little bit in his life. I need Hannah to come join me. Jesus modelled this in his life because when it came time to invite 12 blokes to do life with him, to go on the road with him, to hang out with him, to eat with him, to camp out together, to tour the countryside to do life group together, to do church together, to, to see each other when they're tired, to see each other. You know, and just Jesus invited 12 people to do life that closely with him. But when he did it, he actually brought 12 people together that some of them would never have been in a room together before. I mean, there was a bunch of fishermen. Like, they, they were ancient, kind of like, the, they were the blue-collar guys, the ancient world. Probably savvy business guys, but they'd go out and they'd, catch their fish and they'd sell their fish at the market and they'd live off that. Yeah, they, they, they were the hard workers. They were the ones that always talked about, you know, like the blisters and the bruises that they had. Like th- these, were, these were kind of, these would have been toughened men, the fishermen that Jesus brought in. But then he goes and finds a guy named Matthew who, who loved to collect tax off the earnings of the fishermen and take a little bit extra for himself. Now, the fishermen would have known about Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew, the tax collector, would have known how much the fishermen earned and how much extra he took off them. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, John, Simon, Andrew, come on. Matthew, come on. Let's do life together. Then he goes and gets this really weird guy that we don't really think about when we just read his name, Simon the Zealot. It's kind of a cool name, isn't it? Simon the Zealot. Who wants to, have, who wants to be known as a zealot? 
Well, the Zealots were actually a little political faction. So Simon was probably the guy sitting around the meal at night that wanted to turn everything to politics. Like, you know, those people? It's like, oh, here we go again. No, if you like politics, it's good. I don't mind it in small doses. But Simon the Zealot was the political guy, right? The Zealots were actually a group of people that wanted to purge uh, Israel of the Roman influence. And so they saw as anyone that was in collusion with the Romans as the enemy of Israel. And so Matthew isn't just having a moment with the fishermen because the fishermen know how much tax they've taken, that Matthew's taken off them. But Matthew's also got an issue with Simon because Simon represents a political party that thinks because Matthew is collecting tax on behalf of the Romans, should be trusted and actually should be taken out. Zealots used to walk into crowds, right, with cloaks on and knives under their cloak and they'd look for people like tax collectors that were in collusion with Rome and it, it didn't end pretty. So you've got a guy there that they don't like and a guy here that he's worried that he's going to try and kill him and then a whole bunch of randoms we don't know and Jesus just went and said, okay, come together. We're all different but we're going to find the thing that brings us together. And ultimately that group of 12 people walked the journey with Jesus right to the cross. They saw him resurrected from the grave and then they went and bore the modern Christian movement of declaring that Jesus is alive. And ultimately all 12 of them gave their life for the cause of Christ. See, Jesus modeled diversity and unity and he wants us to do that as well. To look at each other and celebrate our differences and recognize that life would be boring if you're all like me or we're all like you. But it's good that we're different. But it's not our differences we're going, to, we're going to focus on. It's our unity that we're going to celebrate. We're going to finish church a little differently today. Because it feels weird to talk about community and then get everyone to stand up and stare at the back of everyone else's heads while we look to the front. Because Jesus actually gave us a meal that we did in community. It's the communion meal. It's actually the thing that we are reminded individually but corporately of what Christ has done for us and giving his life on the cross. So we're going to finish today sharing this meal the way it was intended to be shared in community with God's people. But we're not going to do it by me handing you a bit of juice and some bread and standing up. We're actually just going to get messy and finish church in circles, right? So I've got about 12 people that have got a bucket of communion. Can you guys just, guys and girls, just stand where you are? Some of these are going to move to the back. They're going to spread out a few to the front. Guys, work it out, spread out. We're not coming back together to sing at the end of this, by the way. So don't feel like, you know, you need to stay near your seat. This is how we're finishing church today. What I'd love you to do, these guys have got a bucket with communion in it, uh, like serves of communion in it. And uh, we're just going to gather in groups of 10, 15 around each of them, just spread out and make sure that there's adequate number around each of them. They're going to give you some communion. Well, I just want you to do something uh, just simple. I, I, people go, oh man, I didn't come to church to have to talk to anyone. All I want you to do is just give your name, right? Just give your name. You can ask any other stupid questions. Just can you go around the circle and just Hi, I'm Bob. That's it. And then these guys are going to read 
that verse we just did from Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verse 2 to 7. Leader isn't technologically apt and doesn't have it on their phone. Someone else can look it up and read it. Just Ephesians 4, 2 to 7. It reminds us of our diversity and our unity and God's generosity in making us different. Then we're going to share this meal that reminds us of the thing that brings us together. That Jesus gave his life so that we could be freed and forgiven and whole and one. And then uh, your leader's just going to pray for you. And you can stand there and have some time together if you want. Someone else wants to pray, go for it. But that'll be the end of our service today. Clear as crystal. Let me pray and then I'm going to get you to move. And uh, we'll finish there. God, your picture of community is a better story. Lord, in the world we live, so many of us feel the pressure of perfection. We feel the pressure of of framing our lives to make it look like we've got it all together. Lord, as parents, we we feel the pressure of making it look like our kids are are wonderful and perfect and and never do anything stupid. As married couples, we, we feel the pressure to make everything look romantic and wonderful. God, in our workplaces, in our finances, God, in our friendships, Lord, in our, in our spiritual life, God, we, we feel the pressure of stage managing our life, but God, that's not what you never intended. You actually invite us to remove the filters, remove the frames, to knock down the fences, to come into community, into community warts and all, authentically ourselves. And in that place, Jesus, you give us the chance to receive correction, to receive care, to have our burdens carried, to be challenged, to be cheered on, and to find in others a complementary picture of your body. That as we bring the things that you've gifted to us and others bring the things that you've gifted to them, we get a whole picture of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for the invitation to be part of the community. I want to pray this morning for anyone that's here that their practical action this week is to take that step to open up their life and their world to someone else. Maybe for the first time to say, yep, I'll I'll join a life group. I'll get to know some people and let them get to know me. Maybe for some here today, it's even just walking through the back room and coming and having lunch and saying, yep, we want to be part of more than just turning up to church, but in part of the community that God intended. God, whatever it is that you have for us, give us the wisdom and the courage to be obedient to that today, we pray. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.